You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hello, welcome to episode 53 of the Prince Kai Fan Pot, Amers Samara Book Club podcast. I'm Bethany. And I'm Ruth. And today's episode is brought to you by Patreon supporters. Thank you. As of yesterday, I have 17 Patreon supporters. So getting really close to that goal of 25. Yeah. And don't forget, you can join Patreon for just $1 a month if you want. And I was showing Ruth earlier, I finished the surprises that are going to be sent out June 1st to all the Patreon members. So join by May 31st if you want to be a part of that. (laughs) I'm super stoked to get my package in the mail. Yes, they're very, they took a lot of work, so I hope everybody likes them. (laughs) Today we're covering Scarlet, chapters 37 and 38, and we are recording on Captain Carswell Thorne's birthday. So happy birthday to my favorite character in this series. Happy birthday, Carswell. Even better, chapter 37 is about Carswell. Everything's about Carswell, but especially chapter 37. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong there. No, (laughs) I am not wrong there. I was going to talk about Marissa Meyer's podcast because I realized that not all of my listeners have Instagram and Facebook. So... One of my Patreon members didn't even know that she had a podcast. So for everyone listening, Marissa Meyer has started her own podcast. It's called The Happy Writer, and she interviews fellow writers about upcoming books that they have. And it's really good. You'll listen. It's on iTunes and Spotify and all those great places. And listening to it and also listening to Potterless and my new favorite one, which is called Fake Doctors, Real Friends, which is a Scrubs podcast by the actors from Scrubs, I'm realizing that audio is not my weakness. It is everybody's weakness, and I am in good company. (laughs) Yes, yes, that you are. Yes. Every time I heard, like, a specific noise in an episode, I was like, oh, I've been there. (laughs) It's so hard to get some of those noises out. (laughs) I'm a horrible patron of the Queen because I have not listened to any episodes of her new podcast, but I really enjoyed it. I tried to make sure I listened to everyone because I, you know, want to be supportive. I've exhausted all my resources at this point, but I still have my fingers crossed that maybe someday in the future the stars will align and she'll notice us, notice this podcast. (laughs) Now, on the subject of other podcasts, did you know that Mike Schubert from Potterless has started a brand new podcast? called meddling adults no but i am intrigued go on so it's basically like he has two guests on every episode and they have to like work together to figure out like a murder mystery kind of or mystery type thing kind of like scooby-doo or like nancy drew or so yeah so in the description he mentions that 
um, it's kind of like a murder mystery, like adventure and that they have to figure out kind of who done it between the two guests or like between the two guests, they have to figure out like who and solve the mystery. And so it's different guests every episode and a different mystery every episode. So that's awesome. I would definitely like to listen to that. And if you're a fan of Scrubs, I do recommend Fake Doctors, Real Friends. It's so funny. It's two of the actors, Donald Faison, who played Turk, Turkleton, (laughs) and Zach Braff, who played the lead, JD. And they go through every single episode kind of the way I do with the chapters. And they have, you know, guests on who were actors or crew members or directors from the show. And it's just really funny. I've been enjoying it. I've also... um, downloaded selena gomez new album the deluxe version of rare and i am obsessed with that so and of course i watched the city of lover concert in paris of taylor swift on hulu it was magnificent i already downloaded cornelia street acoustic i had to i couldn't not it was amazing i was gonna say that um while i am a bad taylor swift fan because i have not watched it yet (laughs) Um, I did listen to Cornelia Street today so because good. it was on, um, my release radar playlist from Spotify and it was fantastic. The acoustic version is amazing. I played it for Quentin and he's like, she sounds so good when it's just her and a guitar. And I was like, right? Yeah. Welcome back to the Taylor Swift podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It actually is a Taylor Swift podcast. It's amazing. It's called Holy Swift. They've It's like three or four years old now, but they just, every episode is about a different Taylor Swift song and they discuss like the lyrics, who they think the song is about. They do like updates of, you know, things that she has going on and stuff like that. It's great. It's called Holy Swift. You can find it Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other places. So that's a good one to check out if you love Taylor. Nice. Which we nice. all know I love me some Tay-Tay. I mean, honestly, how could you not? Right? She is a queen. Anyways, today we're going to cover Scarlet Chapters 37 and 38. But first, fan art. Whoop, whoop. Yes. And I don't know if everybody checks the podcast website, but I recently did an update to the website so that a fan art is a little easier to see now. Before, you had to, like, click, 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 click. Now you can just scroll down. And I separated it by year. So if you're looking for something from this year, you can just, you know, go right to that page. So for today's fan art, it was from May 29th. It is by Cosmic Nova Flair, who has been nice enough to share quite a few artworks with us. So very grateful for that. And it is Scarlet looking badass and ready to go. I am living for those thick thighs. I am too. I love I honestly actually kind of love that it's black and white and like grayscale versus it being full color because it kind of leaves it a little bit more to your imagination. It also feels almost like silvery. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of why I said grayscale because it's not like straight black and white. Right. Like there's Uh, a a glow to it. Yeah. But it it makes her seem like more like almost um, like superhero yes especially her 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 stance but still like it seems it it, there's just something about it because it almost look and and maybe it's just the angle that I have um my lap the laptop on but it looks like she's wearing a hood yeah but also it doesn't look like she's wearing a hood and so it's kind of like 
almost like that mystery or intrigue. I don't think she's wearing her hood up. I don't think she is, but it's no. just like, but, you, but, it, but from far away, I get what you're saying. Or if you're looking at it at a, at a, like at an angle, mm-hmm. like it kind of like the shadows make it look like she's wearing her hood. Either way, it's super cool that like you can kind of almost get two different like looks. Well, I also kind of love all the different stuff going on in the background and how it's kind of fuzzy. Like there's other things there, but that's not the focus. She's the focus. And I love She's curvy, which I have to I have to give a shout out to. I love that she's described as curvy in the book. So it it really makes me happy when I see that reflected in some of the fan art. We all get to choose, you know, our own versions of these people. But as a thicker girl, I like when I see it represented. And I I just love that she's curvy. That made me so happy because a lot of times I see them and she's, you know, she's quite thin. I also like um the fact that like you can't really tell like where she's at. Um I know because at first it's like, okay, are those the ears of a wolf in the left hand corner? But then right. what's that on the other side? Those those white peaks. Is that the city behind her? This is in my brain, these are the hills. She's with a wolf. She sees like an actual like those are the ears of the wolf. And the figures in the back is Paris. It's the city. So I I think that it could just be trees and then and then possibly the city of Paris in the background. Um, but I think I like that it's blurred because it leaves it up to the uh, uh, up to the viewer to to decide what they're interpreting the background as. I agree. And, and so I think that that makes it even cooler because it's almost like she's standing on like a green screen and you could put it in anything. I love it. I love it. And I'm always so impressed with Cosmic Nova Flair and and the artwork that we get. And so just as always, a big thank you for letting me share that to with the podcast listeners and on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and the the website and everything. I really do appreciate when artists let me share their work because it's one of the best parts about doing this podcast. Yes. Last week, patron members got to vote on chapter titles for 35 and 36. The chapter title for 35 is Zombie by Bad Wolves. And the chapter title for 36 is Bad Liar by Selena Gomez. So, yeah. Now, I think it's time to start chapter 37. Whoop, whoop. Oh, before I forget, Marissa Meyer did release a Lunar Chronicles covid 19 sort of short story you can find it on our website go check it out if you can't find it dm me or send me an email at princeguyfanpod at gmail.com and i will send you a link but it does have spoilers so obviously i won't be talking about it on here i believe it's also on the fierce reads blog page because that's where i found it okay so you can check it out there as well so chapter 37 yay So we last left off with Cinder and Thorn getting attacked in Ryu. And thankfully, we're still at that point. And Cinder and Thorn are fleeing the city. Well, the village. Thorn says, (laughs) Thorn goes, what was that? Cinder says, Lunars. I love this, though. I picture them, like, talking to each other while they're running. Thorn is like, what was that? Shouting over his shoulder. And then Cinder is, like, running and shouting over her shoulder. Lunars. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I want to read all of Thorne's response from page 361. I know we just started, so I'm sorry to everybody, but you know I love some Thorne, and his response is great. Cinder shook her head, still panting. They were lunar. He mentioned his queen. Thorne slammed his palm down on the pod ship's control board, cursing. I know lunars are supposed to have some screws loose. No offense. But those men were psychotic. He practically gnawed off my arm. And this is my favorite jacket. <laughs> priorities, Captain. <laughs> Obviously, priorities. Uh, I just love his response so much. He's he's like so sassy and he's obviously frustrated. And he's like, no offense. Y'all are crazy. Oh, yeah, he almost ripped my arm off. But more importantly, look at my jacket. Yeah, and... um. And it's a leather jacket. We don't know how rare or expensive leather is in the future. So it could be it could be something that's not easy for him to replace yeah. or have sentimental value. I don't know. But, you know, it's 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 Carswell it's Thorne and it's his leather captain jacket. I mean, it's important to him. <laughs> yes. He has a big old welt on his head from where he's headbutted cinder. It kind of like presents a slight Easter egg for going forward um, with any of our um, other interactions with Thorn and Cinder kind of going forward. So um, it just, it cracks me up. I love, I love their, um, their jests that they go back and forth with. Yeah, I do too. And it's one of my favorite parts because, and I, I've mentioned it several times before, so I won't spend too much time on it, but I, it's so often that in this scenario, an author would, choose Thorn as a way to create a love triangle between Thorn, Cinder, and Emperor Kai. And I'm so grateful that it's just Thorn and Cinder butting heads, and there's obviously not an issue with that at all. So Iko sends a calm, where are you? And Thorn is like, oh, sh- how's my ship? Yeah, I love what Thorn says, though, because Cinder's just like, Iko's panicking. And and I just imagine Cinder being like, considering everything that's going on, Cinder's pretty calm sitting in the in the pod ship. And she's uh, just like, wow, a second ago before she got headbutted, she was not she had no chill. Right? right. But but she's just like Iko's panicking. And then and then Thorn like is like trying to drive and he's like swerves and then he's like, I forgot about the police. Is my ship all right? I still think Cinder is panicking because the last time she spoke, it said still panting. So I feel like she's still in the same mind space that Thorne is in. She's like, I goes panicking. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gets sick to her stomach because he's all over the place. I says the police are not there. They stuck a tracking device to the bottom of the ship and left something about a disturbance in Rue. I'm looking at the net screens now. Cinder, are you seeing this? Thorne says it's completely predictable that they would leave a tracker, which, I mean, yeah. It's nighttime now. It's all dark and scary outside. Thorne lands the pod ship inside the Rampion, and he finally has his captain hat on. He is taking complete charge of this situation. He lands the pod ship. He's like, all right, you do this. You do this. I'm going to go do this, and then we're out of (laughs) here. I just, I really like that he's being a captain. So often so far, we're like, you know, joking around about him calling himself captain and Cinder keeps calling him cadet. And in this moment, he proves that he really can control a ship when he needs to. And he really can take charge of the situation and his crew. And I'm here for it. 
it also provides a little bit of comic relief because we know that he's not doing any of these things. Like, like, yeah, it's a stressful situation, but he's also not being like overly like serious about it. Like he's still thorn and he's still kind of like being himself and being goofy. And so like for him to just be like, it's almost, it's almost comical for him to just now like start being like, well, you do this and you do that. You do this because it's not Thorn. Yeah, it's not what we've expected. It's not what we've come to know so far. So Cinder realizes that she has to get rid of Peony's ID chip. And she kisses it and tosses it into the field and goes back to the ship. So I have to pause you because one of my favorite lines in this little like interaction is once they like they jump out of the pod ship. And Cinder asks where Iko is or where the tracker is. Then Thorn like jumps down to get it. And, and he says, Iko, seal the dock as soon as I'm out and then open the main hatch. And then, and then Cinder like is like, wait. And I love Iko's response because Iko's response is literally like, what? I thought he made it out. And I can just hear it in in Rebecca Solaire's like high pitched Ico voice, like which is incredible. If you have not had the opportunity to listen to the audiobooks, Rebecca Solaire is a fantastic voice actor and does a wonderful job. Yeah, she's she really is fantastic because like even even just Rebecca Solaire's voice. Like, from being android Aiko to being ship Aiko, like, her voice is still the same, but it also has, like, a different pitch and a different tone. Like, it's a little bit more higher pitched as the ship than it was as as the android. And so it's almost just funny to, like, hear that little bit of a shift in the voice so that you can, um, so you can tell that she's almost bigger and the voice is, like, magnified. And it's just hilarious to hear her say things like that. No, it's, it's a good point to bring up and I'm sorry that I kind of grazed over it. Um, but Cinder said, wait, because she realizes she has something she has to do. She has to get rid of Peony's ID chip and she, she kisses it before she throws it into the field. And that makes me sad because it's like, if you had lost somebody and you had to, and you only had one thing of theirs, and then you had to get rid of it. And yeah, it reminds me of in Harry Potter when Harry buried Mad-Eye Moody's eye, all that they had found from his body and he buries yeah. it in the woods. It's hard losing someone you're you're that close to. Obviously, I've had loss in my life. I don't think I've lost anyone I'm as close to as Cinder was with Peony. You know, my own experience with loss was more that it came so quickly. My when I was 13, one, two, three, 13, my uncle JC died. And uh, two months later, his brother, my uncle Kevin died. Four months after that, my uncle Alan died. Then my grandfather died. Then my grandmother died. Then our dog died literally a week to the day after my grandmother died. And then my parents got divorced and I found out I was adopted. So my like experience with grief is a little bit different because it was just so 
I mean, all of that happened between the time when I was 13 and the time when I was 15. That is a lot in two years. And so I think sometimes my experience with grief is clouded by just all of it happening so quickly and all of it happening at once. But I've never lost anyone that I'm as close to as I think Cinder was with Peony. The hardest loss I've ever had was probably my uncle Kevin. Um, just because it was so unexpected with him, he was 38. And as far as we knew, perfectly healthy and driving home from a baseball game with my grandmother, his mom and his brother, my uncle, John Russell, he, they were at a red light and he didn't move when it turned green. And my uncle, John Russell went to tap him on the shoulder. He was dead. He had a heart attack and he died. Holy moly. Like That's 30 crazy. seconds and like it was literally in seconds and it it just came out of nowhere. And so it was so shocking. And so that's probably, I guess, a little bit similar to Cinder because, you know, Peony's death was so sudden and so shocking. She had the, you know, she knew that there was a plague, but she didn't have the experience of preparing for it. Like you never really get to to prepare for it. Um and I personally handle death very poorly. I'm notorious for it. Um, just not something I'm, you know, good at experiencing. And some people handle it really well. They're good at internalizing and decompartmentalizing. But I feel like for Cinder, because of everything that's happened to her, she hasn't even really had a chance to, to, to deal with Peony's death, to have her moment of grief and mourning and to say her goodbyes and, now she has to get rid of the one tiny thing left that she has, not just of Peony, but of her life before the plague hit Peony, before she found out she was lunar, before she found out she was a princess, before Iko became a ship, before she was a fugitive and had feelings for Kai and, you know, all this other stuff. Before all of that, it was just her and Peony at a junkyard. And this is this is her saying goodbye to all of that, including her sister. And that's a lot. And she does it really quickly. She goes straight from from saying goodbye to Peony to, all right, let's go. She cuts the power. Everything goes dark. Thorn is melodramatic as always. <laughs> it's just a really quick moment. Yeah. For me, mine was like kind of like the opposite of yours is that like mine happened over like a longer period of time, like my mom had cancer. And so what started as breast cancer, then turned into lung cancer, then turned into brain and bone cancer. And it just like continued to just get worse. And then she died. And during that period, I was very like detached. I was very like, didn't show any emotions. And like refused to be near my mom. And my brother was the complete opposite. He was like lying in bed with her because she was on, she was in hospice at the end. She was in hospice. So she was in a hospital bed in the middle of our living room. And then just one day they like brought us in and they were like, okay, come say bye to your mom. And then she like told us that she loved us and like breathed her last, last breath and like I covered her with a sheet. And had no clue what was happening. Like, I was 13 and no 12. Um, but then on, after that, I didn't lose anybody until my grandpa 
um, like six or seven years later. And then my other grandpa died and then my grandma died. And now I only have one grandparent left. And um, yeah, it's just, it's like didn't happen all at once or at the same time, but it, I think it was probably more emotional for me than because I have, I've never had to dealt. I've dealt with it, but also like I haven't dealt with it. I think so, there's some things you never deal with. I don't think that you can deal with and process grief in a period of time. I think it's ongoing and also like a lifetime thing. Cause I don't think that you'll never get over the death of somebody. But you learn how to appreciate the moments that you had together and channel that grief into memories. It doesn't go away. You learn to carry it with you, sort of. And I think what makes the peony situation so difficult is that she was so young. You know, you know, we talk about I've lost quite a few people, you know, but some of it. It's somewhat expected, you know, my, my uncle Alan had a brain aneurysm. So, you know, when he died, we were like, okay, well, the aneurysm first, Uh, my uncle JC was a paraplegic. He was hit by a car when he was 15. So he'd been a paraplegic my whole life long before I was born. So it wasn't, you know, a huge surprise when that caught up with him. It's very common for paraplegics to bleed out from overconsumption of their bodies Uh, My grandmother was a type 1 diabetic, and so she had issues with insulin and things like that. So not a huge surprise. My dog was, we got her when I was 2, and I was 13 when she died. So she was 11 years old. That's pretty long for a lab. My uncle Kevin, 38, and as far as we knew, perfectly healthy. I mean, that came out of nowhere. My, My grandfather that passed away, he had lung cancer. He'd had cancer for two or three years, so it was... Pretty, it was pretty slow, but nothing like what you went through with your mom. His stayed stationary. You, know, I think it's more that I think it's more when you don't expect it, and when it's cut short. Yeah, fourteen years is not a very long time to be on this planet. It's not an, a long time to do everything that you should get to do, to experience everything that you should get to experience, and to have that taken away. With literally no explanation, no cause, no reason. And Cinder doesn't even have a source of comfort for that situation. So this saying goodbye, this is like saying goodbye to Peony all over again. And the guilt of holding that, that antidote in her hand and getting there just 45 seconds too late is, is still with her. And I'm not sure it'll ever go away. And It's not the same, you know, but it is the same because we all have our own ways of dealing with grief and we all have our own different grief. I think I've mentioned before that we lost our first puppy, Addie. We got her on a Tuesday and she died the following Saturday and we had no idea she was sick. And I was hysterical. Because she was such a baby. She was three months old. Yeah. And she was so tiny and so just, and and I'm not like one of those girls in movies where it's like a cute glistening tear. I'm like a toddler 
Like there's snot coming down my face. I can't catch my breath. I'm yeah. I'm like, (laughs) like it's horrible when I'm crying and I'm happy that, you know, we, we, she was a rescue dog. And so I'm happy that we were able to give her a good home and a good life and that she had that before she died instead of dying alone in a, in a kennel somewhere. Um, it led us to scamp who I'm very grateful to have. He and I have a very nice bond. He's become my seizure dog, which is not something I planned for or expected. So, you know, the universe will out and all of that. But when it's unexpected, when it's cut short, when you feel like you don't have a way to grieve, it can be overwhelming. And I feel like Cinder, you know, she lost Peony and then went to, went to the testing and then lost Iko. And so she's had no source of comfort whatsoever since losing her sister. Yeah. And then on top of the guilt that she feels, then she's told she shouldn't be allowed to feel her feelings because she wasn't related to Peony Mm -hmm. because Audrey does, you know, lash out at her and tell her that, you know, well, you weren't, you weren't family. Like you have no reason to, be upset and then of course on top of that I believe she throws in that you can't even cry again right she's she goads her into it she's like show us here for your sister cinder cry for her oh that's right you can't because you're not human and pearl lays it on pretty thick later on when they're at the ball and it's just it's a it's and I know we've talked since you know about peony's death a great deal over the podcast but it is a big deal. It's a big loss. And Cinder still hasn't had the chance to deal with it. And on top of that, she's now saying goodbye to Peony once again. And once again, she has to do it quickly. She has to do it unexpectedly. And she doesn't have time to deal with it. All she has the time for is to kiss the bloody ID chip, toss it into the field, turn around, and then walk back to the ship. Yeah. So that brings up another thing that I've thought about before is so do you think that the ID chips are like covered like almost like like a you know when you get the mini uh SD cards and stuff like for your camera and they're they come in that little plastic container do you think that it's something like that or do you think it's just a straight ID chip like microchip in their skin because I always thought that maybe it was something that was a little bit more like covered in plastic because like, otherwise I feel like the ID chip would like start to rot in their skin. Right. I think it has to have some kind of just, just because of, you know, chemical and science and everything. I think it has to have some kind of coating on it. I don't necessarily know if it's in a plastic sleeve, but it definitely needs to have some kind of plastic coating or some kind of protective coating because also the erosion of something like that could cause a severe infection um, and other reactions with your blood cells in your body. I don't think that it's something that gets explained very well. That's also one of those things. I don't think we're supposed to read too much into it. I think it's just supposed to be like, this is an ID chip, but I don't think she was expecting people to create a podcast and go into detail about every tiny word she used. So, well, also, I don't think that, you know, like, obviously, like, we don't have it. I think it'd be different, too, if we had the technology. Mm -hmm. But since we don't have the technology, we have to, like, like, wrap our heads not only around the idea, but like, 
the mechanics of how it works and be like, okay, so that's how it works. That's what it looks like. That's well, what we, we have the technology in a sense because you can put a chip in your animal. Right. But like not every human on the planet is basically microchipping. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying like we have the technology to insert a chip into a body and yeah. they do that with a protective coating. So maybe we could just assume that it's a similar concept. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> she goes in. She says, you can close the doors now. She gets the old power cell. She yanks it out. And the whole ship goes black. And Thorne screams Cinder's name. A distraught scream. Which I love that he's he's so melodramatic. <laughs> She uses her flashlight in her hand, thank you, Dr. Erland, and connects it. And Iko is back. What just happened? Why won't anyone tell me what's going on? I also love that she has this, like, this little mini thought that, like, it's literally a sentence. But it's where she says, like, already she was forgetting how she'd ever managed to survive without the screwdriver in her new hand as she secured the cell to the wall. And you, like... Like, don't think about it, but, like, that's very, it's very true. It's, like, how would we have functions? I mean, I know that, like, for us, too, personally, some of our, some of the listeners may not be old enough to, like, know. But, like, when we were born, there wasn't a thing as, like, cell phones. Like, cell phones weren't like they are now. Like. Well, even, even, it's 2020. I bought myself a graduation present. I bought Pretty Little Liars on DVD. It came out in 2010. And when Aria pulled out that classic razor flip phone, I had oh I had memories of, you know, being 19 and my first couple years in community college. And I mean, all that thing did was phone calls, text messages and a game called Snake. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, Snake. And, but like, and the concept of like, the concept of like now where you always have your phone on you yeah. was not a thing. You used your phone when you needed it. Sometimes you had it. Sometimes you didn't. Most of us at that age were using tracker phones, which is this really cool thing where you literally have to go to Walmart and buy a card and pay for the every single solitary minute that you use. <laughs> it would be yeah. like 15, it would be like $15 for an hour and for one hour of like audio, like a phone call, and then like 50 text messages or something. It was insane. And the concept now that we have the the third arm syndrome where people can't not have their phones, imagine that your phone is literally just something you use to text and call people with. But I mean, even just knowing that like in our lifetime that that technology has changed so much. And I don't know, I honestly don't know how I would function without a phone. And, and I did for like the first 16 years of my life, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's more the concept of like, I, th- I think part of it is also the, the concept of the internet, the way that we know it today and yeah. social media plays a big, a, a big portion of that. Because again, for, for those of you who are younger, you know, when we were growing up, there was no such thing as Google. It was ask Jeeves. It was very unreliable and Bing. he was, and no, Bing came after Google. Oh, great. It did. Ask Jeeves was literally a butler with a red background and you could type yeah. in questions. It doesn't exist anymore, but you can Google it. 
but but Google wasn't a thing when we were growing up. And the internet in general wasn't a thing, not the way that we use it now. There was no such thing as social media. And the closest we got was AOL Instant Messenger. You got mail. And and that's what it was. It was you've got mail and you could change the color of your font and you could have background colors and you could have away messages, which I would use even when I wasn't away so that people thought I had a life and was doing something. And (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and eventually, you know, I think I was the I think it was after my senior year of high school that that Facebook came out. And I think it was somewhere in the middle of high school that MySpace became a thing. But, you know, prior to that, if you wanted people to know what was happening in your life, you had to tell them. And if they wanted to know what was happening in your life, they had to rely on information you gave them or gossip and rumors. Yeah. And and I remember that time. I remember because I went out with my high school boyfriend for most of high school. We broke up in our senior year. We started dating our freshman year. So most of high school. And the way everybody found out we broke up was I started sitting at a different lunch table. They didn't see it on Facebook. They didn't see it on Instagram. Nobody texted their friends about it. Nobody was talking about it on the school bus. Everybody found out because when it came time for lunch, he went to a different table than I did. Yeah. It's just so crazy to think that like it could just in our lifetimes that stuff like that. Well, because... Because now if you were to break up with someone, it's really easy to tell because people will change their status. People will start deleting pictures off of Instagram and Facebook. They'll start unfriending and unfollowing someone. They'll make like a really vague Instagram story picture of like, a you know, like on Grace Anatomy, a picture of a sunset and it says hashtag freedom. Like, you know, it, it's really easy to tell when something happens. Now they'll change their last name. They'll change their last name. <laughs> they'll change... Or they'll or they'll do something as uh, vague and petty, um, like my ex boyfriend who's not listening. Ha ha ha! Um, <laughs> like just put like a broken heart emoji on Facebook, and then exactly. And then once everybody starts being curious and asking, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" Then he could, then he tells them that I broke up with him because I didn't have time for him. Yeah, but, and and. We're not going to get into that. (laughs) But that's that's really what it is. It's that things change. Things change drastically. And, you know, if nothing else, what we have to take into consideration is that this is supposed to be hundreds of years in the future. And things have changed drastically. But the concept of finding something you need, making it easily and readily available to yourself, even for just a few days, and then removing it from your possession will be a drastic change. That's why there's the third arm syndrome. That's why people have literal, there's a literal name for an anxiety disorder associated with people who cannot be disconnected from their cell phones because we do get used to having it. We do wonder how we survived without it. You know, people can't go out to dinner without their phone. How are they going to check, you know, what the what the traffic time is like or the weather. How do you know what to wear if you can't check your phone for the weather? How do you know, you know, what restaurant is busy? What do you do while you're waiting for a table at a restaurant? What if somebody asks a question and you have to Google it? It's exce- it's excessive. It really is. And I yeah. do it too. I'm not like I'm not on a soapbox 
here. No. Um, neither, neither of us are perfect. But let's get back. We've been uh, obsessing for a while. Let's get back to the story. Um, yeah, we've been on a tangent. <laughs> basically, Cinder needs her screwdriver. And she gets everything installed. She yells out to make sure Iko is back on. And Iko is frustrated. What just happened? Why won't anyone tell me what's going on? Cinder kind of ignores her, but not because she means to. She just is hyper-focused. She says, we got to get out of here. So she says, ready for takeoff. No sooner have the words left than the combustors flared beneath her and the ship lurched off the ground. Cinder screamed and grasped the ladder, clinging tight to it as the rampion hovered momentarily before shooting up into the sky, away from the destruction happening in Michelle Benoit's beautiful hometown. Oh, I love that she kind of that she makes that distinction that Michelle Benoit's hometown is really beautiful because I kind of have that um, uh, that kind of picture of like Rhea is being like super rural and just like literally like Google stock photos of like pictures of a small village in France. Like. It, it like, reminds me, and I've mentioned it before, it reminds me of where my husband and I grew up, which is a very small town. And I think it's important that she notes that it's beautiful because she also earlier talked about how peaceful it was. And that was something that Scarlett always liked about Ryu and the farm. And so now we're noticing that despite their differences, Cinder and Scarlett have similarities in terms of you know, as our protagonists, they do have some things in common, like their lack of self-preservation, for example. Um, <laughs> so their injuries need to be cleaned up and Thorne doesn't want to catch anything that that guy had. This is a little bit of an egg hatch. She has to, a few chapters ago when they were rearranging the ship, Thorne was not concerned about needing a path to Medbay, but as it turns out, it's pretty handy and Cinder finally calls him Captain. Because I think that it's very sarcastic. Because of the way that she says it. Because she goes, she goes, nice takeoff back there, Captain. She literally says, ready for takeoff. And then she says, no sooner had the words left than the combustors flared beneath her. And the ship lurched off the ground. And she screamed and grasped the ladder, clinging it tight as the rampion hovered before shooting into the sky. I can imagine that's pretty jarring. Not that I've ever been on a spaceship before. <laughs> right. In all of your spaceship experience, yeah, that's how it, it would feel. Extensive spaceship experience. <laughs> but that is a very sarcastic comment because she's yeah. already, she's already um, given him crap about not knowing how to take, like not knowing how to control anything when they, freed the ship from the warehouse mm -hmm. in Beijing. So like, I don't think that she and, would necessarily. And ever since. Yeah. And I don't think that she would necessarily change her tune. Just so like, I only ever see her being like, nice takeoff captain. And well, she I just uses like it. I just like it because normally it would be nice takeoff cadet, but she is actually using the word captain now. So that made me happy. True. True. And Thorne doesn't, Thorne just grunts. And so she says, how does it feel? Like I was bit by a feral dog. <laughs> Pretty close to it. He I lost mean, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He lost a lot of blood, but uh, he's actually more upset about his jacket. 
And Cinder goes uh, a little self-pity, passive-aggressive here. Could be worse. I could have used you as a human shield. Like that officer. Yep. And once again, we see her getting a headache because she is unable to cry. I can't imagine what that would, like, I've had headaches before, like, really bad headaches. But, like, I can't imagine just a headache being brought on just because of the fact that you can't cry. That like you Oh, I totally cry. can because anytime like, I cry, I get a massive headache. Really? Oh, yeah. See I, see, I don't get headaches when I cry, but like I I could just imagine like that need and that like especially like if you have like a really hard cry, like I know that like my tear ducts start to like hurt and I guess that's probably what it would feel like just without having any tears because it's a very cathartic it's a very cathartic experience to cry when you need to and like you said you can feel the stinging in your eyes I I know for me personally and this might be because I'm prone to migraines because of my seizure disorder but for me personally anytime I cry I'm gonna get a headache and the longer I cry the worse the headache is gonna be yeah see I don't have to necessarily worry about that but sometimes I get more like caffeine headaches. Mm. Which I'm trying to kind of get away from by drinking less caffeine. Um, Watering down your coffee helps. Really interesting. Because you still get the coffee. There you go. Cinder's never felt like a monster before, but now she didn't mean to kill the yeah. officer. She doesn't know what happened, but now she feels like a monster. She feels like Lavana. And she thinks maybe it ran in her blood like her mother, who had been no better. But I I really like Thorne in this chapter. I think he's very supportive. And he's in a really difficult position, especially because he didn't ask for this. He didn't ask for her to break him out of prison. He's not upset about any of it. I want to make that clear. But, But this situation literally fell into his lap in his cell. And he doesn't have to be supportive here. He could have just left her behind a long time ago. And he doesn't. He sticks with her. And I think he says the only possible thing that you could in this situation, he says that she's still learning and that it was an accident. And she says, well, it's not an accident. I killed someone. No, that blood sucking, howling wolf man killed her. Cinder, you were scared. You didn't know what you were doing. And what I really like, and I'm going to skip down a little bit, but what I really like is I get that you feel like it was your fault, but let's try to put some of the blame where it belongs here. He's He is saying to her the only possible thing that she could hear at this moment. Cinder, I'm not by any means saying that Cinder is innocent in this situation. It was a difficult situation. I understand why it was overwhelming for her. But I think that the way that Thorne handles the situation is perfect in this moment because I'm not sure that, you know, Iko would have done a better job or Dr. Erland would have done a better job. I think Thorne being an outsider, not knowing her on a personal level yet is already capable of seeing like how self-destructive she could be if she let this get too far. And so he's taking the situation at hand and he's like, look, I understand what you're saying, but there is more blame here than just you and you need to get a perspective. Right. And so my notes literally say the thing I love about Cinder is her heart of goodness and gold. 
even with everything that she is adjusting to with learning how to use her gift and being Princess Celine, she still doesn't want to hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, like, because she's a lunar, she's prone to just in general hurting people. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it's amazing that, like, she hasn't, like, that just shows you how good and almost, like, pure she is. Because I actually, I don't like the word pure because she's not. But, like, from, like, a... um, It's her moral compass. Yeah, that her Mm -hmm. moral compass is so good that, like, it hurts her more that she hurts somebody else than the fact that, like, she protected herself. Mm -hmm. Did what she had to do to protect herself in that moment. I think also part of it scares her because she doesn't know how it happened. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's something that happened to her not something that she did intentionally and I think that's part of what scares her because that it's like she said earlier in the chapter it's easy it's easy to use this gift without thinking and that makes it dangerous yeah well and and so like back to like the thorn thing like I really love that he is so positive and almost uplifting right now because that's what she needs like the way that he just said all of that was exactly like what she needed yeah and I actually wrote I said Thorne actually making sense and being serious without being comical love yeah (laughs) because like I said like we both said this is exactly what she needs to hear in this moment and she doesn't need to hear no you're a good person you would never hurt anyone she doesn't need to hear you did what you had to do you're the princess She needs this. She needs someone who is like, look, I understand why you're upset, but you don't know how to use this gift yet. You're still learning. It was an accident. And get a perspective about where the real blame lies because it doesn't lie with you. It lies with those creepy guys and who is controlling them. And that's not you. Yeah. And I also said he isn't just a pretty face, even though his face is pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Cinder says it's also her fault that they have Michelle Benoit because they were looking for her. And she almost reveals that she's the princess. She almost tells him in this moment, but she doesn't. No. Um, She doesn't get a chance to tell him because he starts to get like a little frustrated. And he said, Cinder, you're being delusional. Michelle Benoit has Princess Celine. If they tracked her down, that's why. It has nothing to do with you. And then Cinder, you know, she pulls it back. She might still be alive. We have to try to find her. Since neither of you will tell me anything, I'll just have to guess. Were you by any chance attacked by men who fought like starved wild animals? Uh, good guess. They're talking about it all over the news feeds. It's not just in France. It's happening all over the world. Every country in the Union. Earth is under attack. And that's all revealed by the lovely and talented Iko. The amazing Rebecca Soler in her high-pitched, squeaky ship voice. (laughs) Seriously, you're missing out, guys, if you don't uh, go and and enjoy those chapters. Because Rebecca Soler is a very talented narrator, and she does great with Aiko's voice. But that is the end of Chapter 37, Earth is Under Attack. What was your chapter title for Chapter 37? So um, my chapter title was... Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, because I felt like it was very fitting. 
considering that they've just been r- randomly attacked by wolf men. And then on top of that, the police discovered Ico. And <laughs> I was just like, they're literally running for their lives. I mean, they already were, but like, <laughs> yeah, I chose it's dangerous business walking out your front door by under oath, which is a little bit older of a song. That's from a band that was popular when I was in high school. When I say popular, I mean, it was popular in my crowd, you know, like my chemical romance was and stuff. Um, but I think that's probably how the entire town of Ryu feels right now is how terrifying it is. So like just walking down the street to go to the tavern or the market or get your vegetables and you're suddenly attacked. And to find out it's happening all over the world, I mean, everybody must just be kicking themselves for leaving the house. Right. Yeah. Well, and then, like, and then, like, with Wanted Dead or Alive, it's, like, literally the wolfmen want her dead and the Eastern Commonwealth military want her alive. No, they don't. Well, they want her alive because they want to take her back to Kai. But so they, they said in the last chapter, we'll take you dead or alive. They don't care. They just need her. It doesn't matter if she's alive. True. She's just wanted. (laughs) She's just wanted. (laughs) So Patreon members will get to vote on those chapter titles. What was your quote for this chapter? So my quote for chapter 37 is, and you think he would have left the rest of us alone once he had you. And I just liked it because it was like, yeah, Thorne just, like, basically, like, put her in her place about how she feels and, like, validated some of her feelings, but also, like, didn't validate, like, how, like, she should feel like she's a monster. And and he makes a really, really, really good point where he says what you think that, like, those crazed feral dogs would have stopped once they killed you. Like, or once they had you captured, like, no, they're like feral dogs don't stop once they've attacked somebody like they just keep going. And what we learn from Aiko later in the chapter is that it definitely wouldn't have stopped because she says the entire earth is under attack. Right. And so I, I really love that he throws that in there as like almost to make her feel better. Like, yeah, they're after you, but. They were kind of attacking everybody else, if you didn't notice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that ties in really well with my quote, because my quote was from page 367. I get that you feel like it was your fault, but let's try to put some of the blame where it belongs here. And I talked about it before in the chapter discussion, so I won't go too far into it again. But it's just like I said before, I just appreciate that Thorne is trying to give her perspective. This is a very overwhelming situation, and... He's being a very good, supportive partner at the moment because that's what they are right now. They're partners in crime, literally, and they have to rely very heavily on each other. And I think I have to agree with what Thorne is saying. Like, obviously, it's valid that you feel like it's your fault. Obviously, your feelings are worth acknowledging. They're worth discussing. But it's it's important that you understand the perspective of the situation. It's important that you understand that this situation is not your fault. The blame belongs somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good point to make because like so far we've just seen her doubting herself and not really having any confirmation that like 
the steps that she's made or the the things that she's done or said up to this point are valid or like that she's even doing the right thing. Right. And And she's, she has no idea what she's doing. She said that the last chapter, right. Or not the last chapter, but a few chapters ago when she was trying to figure out what to do next, she was like, well, I don't really want to be a princess. I don't really want to overthrow Lovana, but that's what everyone's going to expect me to do. And I don't know where I'm supposed to go next. Dr. Erland wanted me to go to Africa, but where do I want to go? And that's, this is why Thorne is great for her because she really does need someone there. Maybe not necessarily like telling her she's doing a good job, but helping to guide her in the right, like maybe not even guide her in the right direction is the right word. Maybe but, just someone, maybe just someone to tell her that what she's doing isn't wrong. Even if she's not making the perfect decisions, even if she's not making, you know, the right decisions based on expectations or what someone else might do or things like that. What she has done so far is not wrong and it is not causing more harm than good. Right. And, and I think she, it's, it's almost like he's her, like, even though, even though like they have that really almost like, uh, headbutt relationship where they are very like, they jest with each other and it's like a love hate relationship kind of, Mm -hmm. but like, they're really honestly really good for each other and they mesh really well and they're so opposite that they're almost alike in some ways. And so I think that's what makes this even better is because we know that like, he's like, whether he's saying this to like make her feel better or he's just saying this to like get the whole conversation over with, like it's coming from a good place and like he does like mean all of it. And it serves its purpose. It calms her down. Yeah. Chapter 38. So we switch gears here. We're back with Scarlet. We last saw her with Wolf and he slipped her an ID chip while slipping her the tongue. Sorry, couldn't help it. Uh, (laughs) He tells her to wait until morning because the world won't be safe tonight. I'll say she's back in the theater basement in the corner of her cell and it's filled with the sound of loud, distant howls, like dozens of animals seeking one another in the night. But there shouldn't be any wild animals in the city. Right. She, she sees nothing but empty, dark halls and an exit sign that hadn't been lit in a hundred years. Trapped alone and left to die. So she starts trying to figure out if anybody's there. Hello? Anyone there? I'm hungry. Yeah. I have to and- go to the bathroom. I'm going to escape crickets. You get crickets. The fir- literally the first thing that I put in my notes was, here we go with the scarlet naivety again. Like, she's it's like, like when she walked into the opera house, hello, you have visitors. Right? Yeah. I literally also said in my notes, I said, wolves, wild animals in the city. That's impossible. And then in parentheses, I wrote this out. Okay, this tells you how much fun I was having with my notes. I wrote parentheses, insert Star Wars meme here. Close parentheses. Parentheses, insert Princess Bride meme here. (laughs) R-O-U-S's? I don't think they exist. Um, I was thinking more of like inconceivable. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Or the I am your father. That's not true. That's impossible. Anyways. I'm not not sure all of that fits with I have to go to the bathroom, but. (laughs) Right. Well, 
Well, no, it's more like it's more like she's like, there shouldn't be any wild animals in the city. That's impossible. And then it's well, I haven't like, seen I haven't seen Star Wars, so I, I guess that's probably why I don't get the reference. Oh well, that's listeners. I'm not saying that we should shame Bethany for not ever having seen. Well, Star Wars. I don't like dying, so. Okay. I, I tried guess. to watch Star Wars and had a seizure because it's nothing but strobe effects. So that's why I have I not can, watched. I can get behind you on that reason. That, but well, I don't, don't want to shame anyone so. because we all have things that we like and we all have things that we don't like. And I have had plenty of people who like judge me for loving Harry Potter and I hate that. So I don't want to take that away from other people. But I have not seen Star Wars. I understand that it's a huge fandom. It's I ha, it's not coming from a place of hate. It's just I tried to watch it and it tried to kill me. So we don't have a very good relationship. <laughs> well, and so basically that quote is like Luke is hanging. It's 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 the middle of the second movie and he's hanging off the edge of like this skyscraper type building. And Darth Vader tells him that he is Luke's father. And Luke, in this giant girlish scream, goes, that's not true. That's impossible. And so. So it's just it's just because she thinks that that there shouldn't be any animals in the city. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I was like trying to draw the connection. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, she's trapped alone. She's screaming down the halls, but no one cared. She's alone. And she starts to wonder, was it a trap? Or did Wolf really mean to help her? And she's upset with Wolf because he didn't actually tell her the plan. She feels like a lamb led to a feast. And then out of the quiet, she heard her name. Her voice was silent as if speaking had drained it. And that's what Scarlet needed. She grabs the ID chip. The cell door opens. The chime used to ring when they brought her food. And she listens in the hallway, but the opera house seems completely abandoned. So it's it's dark. She can't see anything. She's going off of nothing but, but nerve and instinct at this point because she knows that she just heard her grandmere's voice. She's wandering down the halls. She's got her hands on the walls trying to guide herself through the darkness. And she passes five empty cells. And on the sixth one, she finds her grandma. Well, and so something that, like, I was trying to put in perspective is, okay, yeah, this is an opera house. But obviously, it was turned into a prison at some point. But we know from previous chapters when we were in um, Wolf's point of view that the attack on Paris is happening only at 6 p.m. So, like... The sun is just going down and the, yeah, because the, it starts at 6 p.m., but it's not only happening at 6 p.m. It happened. Like we saw in Cinder that it went well into the night. We saw in the chapters with Cinder that it went well into the night. Right. But I'm saying that the attack started. So, I mean, we can only assume that this is what I'm saying is that it's not. It's possible that it's not that dark, but in this set, like the way that she's groping for the cells make, I mean, we already know she's in the basement. 
and there's not a lot of light. And so I just wonder like how, like, is it pitch black? Like, like she literally can't see anything or is like, does she at least see the walls? Does she see like, or is it just like how, like how dark? Cause the way that she's describing the blackness makes it seem like it's way darker than it could be. Well, so just my we also know from the description and it's mentioned several times, even in this chapter, but pretty much in every chapter where we're at the opera house, that there is no light or windows. Everything is boarded up. Everything is blocked off. The only light comes from that one tiny ceiling light or, or not ceiling light, but cut out in the roof of the building. So I think it's pretty dark, especially if they're in a basement. Oh, I was just thinking about the episode where you guys were talking about Omega Omega Ram light the chandelier. Omega Bob. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, Omega Bob had to light the candles. Oh, Omega Bob, um, this one. Yeah. Oh, and he had to blow them out. It's like, oh, you missed this one too. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's probably pretty dark. I would say that it's dark enough at this point. She's been down there long enough at this point that her eyes would have had time to adjust. She yeah. can see shapes and shadows down the hall. She can see an exit sign, but the exit sign isn't lit up. It says it hasn't been lit in over a hundred years. So I think it's dark, but I think that she can see a little bit like, you know, like when it's, when you're in your home and it's completely dark and maybe you just get a little moonlight in from the, windows or something I think she can see a little bit because we she saw the exit sign even though it wasn't lit up yeah yeah so she goes into the sixth cell and there's her grandmother she drops the chip because she gets so excited the door opens the sound of the chime terrified her grandmother so that sound must have used to associate someone entering the room to remove her for torture or just torturing her while she's in there. Yeah. And something that I put in my notes was that, which I guess we're about to get to because she's about to like, like throw herself to the floor and look for grandmare. But, um, that this, like, that like I can't even imagine like how I would feel if I were in this situation. So like, like, so, like, almost, like, Scarlet's, like, sadness is almost, like, overwhelming for me personally, because, like, I know if I was in that situation, like, I would be distraught. Mm -hmm. So, it's just, it was just kind of, like, sobering to, like, see, watch the scene play out. Yes, and Scarlet really is distraught. That's why she drops the chip and gets so excited. And um, she she starts to sort of acknowledge her surroundings. She, the cell was rank with the smell of urine, sweat, and old stale air. And she finds her grandmother. She hugs her. She starts to try and reassure her, don't worry, I'm going to get you out of here. And her granny says she shouldn't be there. She starts to cry. Scarlet had never heard her cry before. Um, which I, I think we probably all have that one person in our lives. We've never seen them cry. You know, mine's my dad. Uh, mine would be my husband. I've never seen my husband cry. 
Uh, he has told me about moments in his life that have, quote, choked him up, but I have never actually seen him cry. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I haven't seen cry. I don't think I've ever seen my bonus mom cry. I don't think I've ever seen Renee cry. But she is a very headstrong person. Yeah. Um, very, like, cl- not closed off in a bad way, but just in a, you know, self preservation way. Um, yeah. The only but, time I saw my dad cry was at my mom's funeral. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that I saw my dad cry. And I was 12 years old. So, um, yeah, I was like, I was like, my dad's cr- okay. I was like, I didn't really understand what was going on because I block out that memory. Um, but like, I do remember that. And I remember thinking I've never seen my dad cry before this. Mm -hmm. So, um, it just, it helps to, it helps to rein in the gravity of the situation. Scarlett's never seen her cry before. And her response is, what did they do to you? Because whatever they did to her, it made her terrified of the sound of the chime. It made her this frail, broken woman that Scarlet doesn't recognize. And it makes her weep. Yeah. So Scarlet realizes Grandma is covered in bandages and bumps. And her hands are practically claws. And. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of my dogs just farted because apparently. He wanted me to understand what the smell of rank urine, sweat, and old stale air was while I was reading that chapter. So thank you for that, uh, whichever one of you did it, because they're both in here. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, so, so something that I also wrote down was um, this scene has broken me almost every time that I have listened to the audiobook and heard Rebecca's voice. Mm-hmm. And because, like, because it's the emotion that you hear in Rebecca's voice mm-hmm. being Scarlet and being in that situation. And you just like, I nearly break down every time that I hear it because it's like, it feels too real. I mean, I know it's supposed to feel real, but like. It's it does, she does so, a good job. Yeah. She does a fantastic job. If we haven't already said it enough this episode. Well, and in every episode, because she really is a very talented voice actress. And it makes all the difference when you're listening to the audiobooks. It really does. There are plenty of audiobooks that I don't get past the first couple of chapters because the narration just doesn't suit me. Uh, But it's not like that with Rebecca Solaire. So, Um, but Grandma says, don't touch her wounds because they hurt. And I guess Scarlett doesn't really feel the need to question if this is her grandmother anymore. She's not worried that it's another lunar trick. She's just like, yep, this is grandma. Yeah. And I think especially after that experience with being tricked that she's a little bit more aware that this is grandma. But like, I think also like she just knows in her heart that like grandma would only grandma would talk or would say these things or be concerned about these things well they haven't really had a lot of conversation all she said is how did you get here and don't touch yeah but i but like but like it's almost like that sixth sense of like i think yeah probably that one more than what she said yeah i think it's just 
but also the gravity of the situation that like seeing because because other than the, the I mean there was she was perfectly fine when um when she was tricked by the lunar gift yes and and so I think subconsciously like even though like she didn't want her grandma to be tortured like she knew like even though she didn't believe it right then because she fell for the lunar gift but she because she was tricked like she knew that like her grandma was gonna be like they weren't gonna hurt her like wolf had already kind of prepared her for the fact that like if that's what they did to your dad what do you think they did to your grandma? Mm -hmm. And so, and so when that kind of goes all out the window, when she is brought to the, to the box, like, you're like, come on, Scarlet. But now that we're back here, you're like, Oh, this is grandma. See, and if anything, if anything, it would make me question the situation more because she was tricked before. Yeah. But I don't think she's really in a position to question it anyway. She's just so overwhelmed. And obviously it is her grandmother, so it doesn't matter. But it's interesting to me that after having been tricked, she wasn't just a little bit more hesitant being met with the same confrontation again. Right. Um, But Grandma tells her to get out. And Scarlett said, it's basically this entire chapter is Grandma going, you need to get out of here. And Scarlet going, I'm going to rescue us both. So I'm not going to repeat that over and over and over again. But Scarlet says that she wants to get her out. She wants to take her to a hospital. And Grandma says she can't even walk or move. Just leave her. Just go. I'll carry you if I have to. Everyone left. They have time to figure it out because it's just them. And then this is where Grandma reveals Celine is alive. You have to do something for me. Celine is alive. She's in the Eastern Commonwealth by the name of Lynn. And Scarlett says, that's not your problem. We need to get you out of here. I'm going to keep you safe. Nobody cares about Princess Celine. Grandma says, you have to find her. She's a teen cyborg now called Cinder. This line gave me so many goosebumps because she doesn't quite put it together. But we as the reader do. No, darling, you must find her. She'll be a teenager now. A cyborg. Scarlet blinked, wishing she could see her grandmother in the blackness. A cyborg? Unless she changed her name, she's called Cinder now. I I love that this is the way that we get that reveal. That, like, the way that she's like, no, Princess Selina's alive. Her last name is Lynn. She's a cyborg. She's a teenager. Her name is Cinder. Like, we get, like, all these, like, definite like all these things that we already know like oh yep that's cinder yep that's cinder yep that's cinder and then she's like and her name is cinder like (laughs) it's a good like lead up to it you know it's like it's little tiny pieces that all together make it the whole that we as the reader already know because of reader privilege grandma says that logan and garen are the only other ones who know about her She doesn't know that they both died years ago. She thinks that they're both still alive. So someone must find the girl and tell her who she is. But Scarlet doesn't give a about whoever this cyborg girl is. She only has eyes for, we need to get grandma out of here. And I love how, like, Scarlet's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, great. She's the princess. 
don't really care. Um, but it's not your, like, she makes it very clear that she's like, it's not your problem anymore. And she but, literally says on the bottom of page 374, I don't care about the stupid princess. I care about you. I'm going to protect you. Yeah. Grandma says, please, Scarlet, she could make all the difference. And Scarlet's like, what could a teenager do? And then it hits her. She remembered then the name. The news feeds flashed through her thoughts. A girl running down the palace steps. Falling. Landing in a heap on a gravel path. Lynn Cinder. A teenager. A cyborg. A lunar. She gulped. So Lavana had already found the girl. Found, but lost her again. And again, I got goosebumps. Even just, look at my arm. Even just reading that now with you, I have goosebumps again. Yeah. Because again, this is like, oh my God, their paths are starting to overlap each other. Yeah. And we still have, uh, like, not eight or nine chapters left. So we have about 75 pages left in the book. Not like we get that reveal and then it's like, oh yeah, you're going to have to wait for the next book. We don't know what's going to happen yet. So. Right. But that's but that's what I'm saying is that we still have so much. Yeah, that's not the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like that's the major cliffhanger and then the book ends. Right. Um, It's not like like book two of the Hunger Games. There is no District 12. Wait, that's the last page. Right. What the hell just (laughs) happened? Um, I was like, I'm not sure about you, but I'm pretty sure that when I when I got to this part in my initial read. Um, that I was literally screaming at Scarlet to get it together because you should have figured this out already. Like, <laughs> like when she's about to like, when she asks like who Logan Tanner is down towards the end of the page, we've literally had this whole conversation. Since I or, see, or, I think she knows who Logan Tanner is, but she wants her grandmother to tell her about it. But that, but that's what I'm saying. Like she's putting it together. And, but she's almost like trying to like verify the information because Wolf has already made this connection. Well, and we got in those chapters, we got her inner monologue where she explored the idea and where she came to the conclusion, Logan Tanner must've been her grandfather. She must be part lunar. So she does know all these things, but this, she wants to hear what happened from her grandmother because all of the information that she has is secondhand through Wolf. And and on top of that, she wants to make sure that Wolf wasn't lying to her, one. Mm-hmm. And two, because she had this understanding that, or thought that, you know, that they didn't lie to each other. And then she found out that she hadn't really technically lied to her, but she hadn't told the truth. Lie of omission. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so she's like, well, since I'm here. Might as well just get confirmation on this and this and this and this. Well, let's talk about what Grandma says. Grandma says, he's a good man, Scarlet. He would have loved you. I hope you'll meet him someday. Tell him hello for me. Tell him goodbye. And Scarlet can't bring herself to tell her that he died, that he was dead. He had gone crazy. He had killed himself. And this is the part that, for different reasons, breaks my heart. She says, I love you. You are everything to me. Um, You are everything to me is something my husband says a lot, especially when he's having like a rough time of it. So that hit me really bad. 
I know. I it like, got me in the feels. I I literally I literally wrote in my notes tears, so many tears. You're my every you're everything to me, and I was just like, Ugh. but then even like when she says that she um that Scarlet is her brave stubborn girl, mm-hmm. um to me like like that really touches, but it also reminds me of one of like the closing scenes. Did you ever see the mini series, um, the 10th kingdom? Nope. Okay. So it's basically this mini series where they go through a mirror and into the nine kingdoms, which are all the different major fairy tales. Okay. Um, and they're all connected and they have to basically save the world. And at the very end, one of the characters is dying and the girl that is the, the heroine um, is like, is like crying and, um, and he's like, no, no, you can't leave. And the, and the person, the characters that, that's dying, like just reaches her hand up, strokes her face and says, my little girl, my little girl. And so it just like reminded me of that. And like, and it like was in like this super sweet, like really like, like, okay, these are my last words. These are my last breath. And, and she's like, and she's like, my little girl, my brave, stubborn little girl. Like, like it, yeah. just, like, it hit, kind of hit, makes you, makes it hit a little bit harder. It does. And I think part of it too is because this whole book has been culminating in, up to what happened to grandma? Where is grandma? Is grandma okay? Is grandma dead? Is grandma tortured? Is grandma missing? Did she run a coup and go on vacation in the Bahamas? And we finally, <laughs> we're finally reunited with her and it's, Only it's, lose her. it's very bittersweet. So she vows to stay there forever, to never abandon her, that they can kill them together if they must. She'll never leave her again. And then she hears footsteps. And in true Marissa Meyer fashion, that is how the chapter ends. I mean, I feel like that is like one of the best cliffhangers, though, because to only hear footsteps. Yep. You have no clue what's coming. No, no idea. We don't know who those footsteps belong to. We don't know how many people there are or anything. Nothing. Yeah. So what was your song title? So my song title was Overnight by Maggie Rogers. And I really like this song because it's kind of like folksy indie. Um, and she's just like an amazing artist. I love her to death. But um, the chorus um, of the song goes, um, because people change overnight, things get strange. I'm all right. Um, and then it, and then it goes on. Um, and then the end of the chorus goes, but if you lie to me, lie to me, I'm gone. And then the bridge goes. And though I still know exactly how this ends, I keep holding on. I like that. I haven't heard that song before. <laughs> the song I chose, I'm sure everybody's heard the version by bread. It's in a, probably one of the most famous songs in the world. I like the I can't go on, I'll go on version because I like Vanessa Hudgens singing voice. But the song is called Everything I Own. And 
it's literally about giving up everything for the person that raised you. The lyrics are, you sheltered me from harm, kept me warm. You gave my life to me, set me free. The finest years I ever knew were all the years I had with you. You taught me how to love. You never said too much, but still you showed your way. I knew from watching you. And the chorus, which is what really kills me, is I would give everything I own, give up my life, my heart, my home. I would give everything I own just to have you back again. And it's a much longer song. I'm not going to give you all the lyrics and go into five and a half minutes and stuff. But (laughs) I reading this chapter, hearing the way these two women are speaking to each other about how they would just give anything to Scarlett is literally pleading with destiny to try and find a way out. She starts looking around the opera house for a wheelchair, knowing that there's not even going to be there one there trying to, think of how she could possibly get her grandmother out of that building. And grandma is just like, you have to get out of here. You have to save yourself. You have to find the princess. And I just kept thinking back to those lyrics about not only giving up everything for this one person that you love. And so you could keep them, but how it's about the person that raised you. It's about the person that taught you how to be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your chapter quote? So it, kind of works perfectly um, because it is the sentences right before your quote. Um, (laughs) So my quote is, she would stay forever. She wouldn't abandon her. If her captors came back, they would find them together, kill them together if they must. She would never leave her again. Yeah, that's perfect because my quote was, the vow was made, the promise determined when she heard footsteps echoing down the corridor. I just, I love a good cliffhanger. I really do. And I love that it ends with Scarlet coming to this, this vow, this promise that she's been wanting to fulfill since the beginning of, since we met her, since we as the reader met her. And right when she feels like she's about to save her grandmother and be reunited and get back to their lives. Now there's something else. Yeah. So that was chapter 37 and 38. Kind of, kind of a bit, a bit rough go of it, not knowing what's going to happen next. So, um, so there were two Easter eggs, there were two gloves and there was one captain. And next week we will cover chapters 39 and 40. Thank you for coming on. This was, of course, listeners don't know this, but this is actually our, like fifth attempt to record because we had <laughs> we just short circuited is what happened. So thank uh, you for coming. Of course. Now I will say we did not get to do our PSA because we are I'm, recording on a different day. And I'm past it now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, so. and I'm past it now, but I still feel like we should put a PSA. You think on we should? Episode. We should do one. We should sign off with it. Okay. Well, I have my own sign off phrase. I mean, I mean, but our- what I will say for my public service announcement is please do not ever assume a woman is pregnant. It is not acceptable to ask a woman if she's pregnant. It is certainly not acceptable to ask her if she's pregnant. Wait for her to tell you she is not and then judge her by the way she looks. So that is my public service announcement. I thought it was common knowledge. Apparently it is not. Um, it was a couple of days ago, so I'm not as bitter about it, but a couple of days ago I was very upset. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. And as somebody who has also had a baby, there is never an appropriate time for you to tell somebody that they look like they're pregnant. I see. Ever. I've never been pregnant, so I don't have babies or anything. So I'm just like, uh, and, nope. <laughs> and that, that almost, I don't know whether that makes it worse or better, but <laughs> okay. it's still very wildly inappropriate and very rude to ask a woman if she is pregnant. Well, and I should clarify the situation. The person who asked me if I was pregnant was not kind. Um, you know, she asked me if I was pregnant and I said, oh, no, I'm not pregnant. Well, actually, she assumed I was pregnant and asked if I had picked out any baby names and asked how far along I was. And I said, oh, I'm not pregnant. And she stopped talking. She looked my body up and down. And then she looked me dead in the face and goes, okay. So it's not just that she, you know, accidentally made a mistake because you can make a mistake and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said that. I have my, you know, and that would be very different. It was because she was not polite about how she handled it. And I've been pretty transparent on this podcast about my own insecurities. So she was not helping my day. (laughs) Yeah. So that's our public service announcement. Please don't ever assume someone is pregnant. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Also, also wash your hands, stay safe, follow social distancing guidelines. And most important public service announcement, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Scarlet by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Ruth Redman. Logo art was created by Angela Wong on Instagram. Thank you for listening.